This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. You guys, I'm glad you guys were here and we're excited for what God is doing uh, in this church and what God is up to is nothing short of miraculous, and more on that at the end of the service. But today we're starting a brand new two-week little mini-series called Out of the Cave, and largely based on the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 18, and let's dig into that here in just a minute, but also there's like a companion book with it that was written by Pastor Chris Hodges, and it is an incredible book called Out of the Cave, and the cover even looks a little bit like that. So you can find that on Amazon. It is an incredible book. I've read it twice, and it really helped me in a season of cave dwelling to get out of the cave. Today is about how do we end up in the cave? How do we get there? What is the cave? How do we get into it? Next Sunday is how do we get out of the cave? What are the things we do to get out of the cave? And I know, I know we don't want to talk about this. We're tired of talking about it, but 2020 happened. Whether we want to talk about it anymore or not, I'm kind of done talking about it, but just for a brief second, 2020 happened. The calls to mental health hotlines and the suicide prevention hotline in 2020 alone went up 900%. Divorce filings in 2020 were up 26%. 25% of young adults considered suicide, and one out of every 10 Americans considered how to end their life in 2020. One out of every 10 of you in this room have thought about ending your life. Depression is real. Mental illness is real. And believe it or not, there are still some people out there that don't believe it is. One out of every nine people are on some type of depression medication. One out of every five people have been on an antidepressant at some point in their life. Antidepressant use has gone up 300% since January 2020, and it continues to skyrocket at a rate they've never seen. Depression has become the number one health problem in the world. There are very real biological contributors to depression and anxiety, but if we allow the biology to become the whole picture, then we miss the real solutions. So we got to look at all of it. And we're going to talk very plainly and very clearly today and next week. And I'm even going to share with you some of the things that I have walked through myself and how I got out of the cave. And I think it's going to be very important for us. And so this is not something that I got from a book and just vomiting it to you. These are actually the points I'm giving you today are things that I did. And I remember I asked God, what are the things that I actually walked through to get out of the cave? And that's what I'm giving you today. And there's, I love that last song. Didn't y'all love that song? There's hope in the morning, hope in the evening, hope when it's dark, hope when it's hard, hope when it's easy. There's hope everywhere. And today I am a hope dealer, all right? So y'all ready to partake? Here's one thing. Depression is not a malfunction of the mind. It's a signal. And for some of you, this is already earth-shattering news. Depression is not a malfunction of the mind. It's a red flag. It's a signal. Our bodies, our minds are trying to tell us something. So let's get some things straight right off the bat, okay? Number one, if you're depressed, if you're anxious, 
You're not weak and you're not crazy. You're a human being with unmet needs in other parts of your life. Second, there is a stigma on depression and mental illness. We understand when somebody gets sick physically, we don't think any less of that person because they have strep throat. Like, ooh, you have a bacterial infection in your throat. What is wrong with you? Nobody does that. It wasn't until COVID that we treated people like that. We've got to remove the stigma of depression. We gotta remove the stigma of other mental health issues. Mental health is the only area where your illness becomes your identity. I've done dumb things in my life before and broken lots of bones. Because I like to have fun. I've broken a lot of bones. And when I was wearing casts and stuff, nobody looked at me and went, oh, you're one of those people. You have a broken bone. You're forever categorized as one of those people. That never happened to me. Never happened to me when I had the flu. Never happened to me when I had strep. Here's the issue. And one thing that we need to own as truth today, my illness is not my identity. Can we all agree with that? My illness is not my identity. And we gotta find out what does the Bible say? And there's a lot of hope I'm gonna give you today and I have a lot of content and I'm gonna try to get through it as fast as I can. So if you miss out on it, if you want my sermon notes, just email me. I'll send you all the Google Drive stuff and PDFs. But I, I, I want you guys to get this content. Let me make sure we're all clear on this biblically. God wants us to live free lives and live lives of meaning. Amen to that? Who wants to agree with that? Somebody say amen. And freedom is why Jesus came. Let's prove it in Galatians 5. It is for that Christ set us free. It is for, he wants us to live free lives. But when we read the Bible, there were lots of great people in the Bible, great men and women of faith who got depressed. You're like, Landon, that's not true. No one in the Bible got depressed. There's no anxiety in the Bible. There's just, there's just people who loved the Lord and, and loved God and served the Lord, and I'm not matching up to any of them. Let me prove it to you. There's a man named Jeremiah who has the nickname the Weeping Prophet. Because he wrote an entire book in the Bible on depression. There's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. Lamentations. An entire book of the Bible about his woe is me's. And it, don't read it on a day you're down. All right? Like, read, read some Proverbs, you know, read some. Like, lamentate, but it's so true. Look what he says. Maybe you can, I mean, maybe you can relate to this. All right? Look at. Lamentations 3, 17 through 20. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, forget it. My splendor's all gone, and all that I'd hoped from for the Lord is all gone. I remember my afflictions and my problems and my wondering and my pain. I remember all the bitterness and all the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Some of y'all didn't know that verse was in the Bible. I wouldn't suggest typing it and putting it on your refrigerator. However, it's in there. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the one, I mean, this guy wrestled with God. I'm telling you, this guy knew God at his core, and he still 
got depressed. What about the Apostle Paul? Landon, the Apostle Paul did not get depressed. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. You know, he, he, he got knocked off his donkey, got blinded, God healed him, and scales fell off his eyes. He renounced his murderous ways and became the Apostle Paul. There is no way he got depressed. Well, let's read the Bible, 2 Corinthians 1. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, which can we just, let's just read this in our language. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. What this means is, let me tell you what the heck is going on here. So don't read it all in biblical speak, like thee before thou except after thine. That's not what this is. We do not want you to be... My life has fallen apart. Let me tell you about the trouble I experienced at my family reunion. Let me tell you about what happened with me and my wife last night. Let me tell you about the problems we experienced in Asia. Y'all with Paul now? You're with him now? You got to read the Bible like this, guys. It's so much more fun. We were under great pressure. Paul's very nicely saying, this is awful. I can't endure this. I can't handle this pressure. And you know what? I just wish I would die. He said we were under such great pressure. We despaired of life itself. He wanted to die. I can't move forward with this pressure. That's the apostle Paul. And I know what you're thinking. God, if Jeremiah did it and Paul is doing it, then I'm really in trouble. No. Because they all got out of the cave, and I'm going to prove to you how, and you can start today. There's another guy in the Bible, Elijah, another incredible man of faith. He was at the transfiguration of Jesus. 1 Kings 18 has a major victory. I mean, he's on the, he, I mean, this is Instagrammable life moment. He is there, 1 Kings 18. It's Elijah, one dude against 850 false prophets, false pagan gods of Asherah and Baal. 850 of them. The, most scholars say there are about 6 million Jews, 6 million Israelites standing around the base of the mountain watching 850 people versus one person on the top of this mountain. They both built altars, and they said, look, we're going to fight them, all right? So I'm going to talk to my God. Y'all talk to your gods. Do whatever you want to do. If your God blows that altar up and eats the offering, then we'll worship your God. But if my God does it, you have to bow down and worship him. They're like, fine. So they spit shook on it, and they moved on. 850 people took off their clothes, ripped themselves up, got knives out, cut themselves to death, put blood all over the ground. Nothing's happening. So imagine 850 naked people all bloody and cut up and nothing's happening. And then Elijah's sitting there going, hmm. If you read some of these translations, so much fun. You read Eugene Peterson's translation on it, he's like, hmm. And it literally says, maybe your God's on vacation. And then it says, maybe your God went to the bathroom and is indisposed. It's literally what the Hebrew means. Maybe your God is on the toilet. So he's taunting 850 tired, angry, naked, bloody people in the name of the Lord. And then Elijah's like, all right, y'all sit down. This is ridiculous. And he's like, okay, bring me a bunch of water. Put a bunch of water in these buckets. So they, um, people bring in a bunch of water. He said, now pour it on the wood. And they're like, why, why would you do that? You're ruining your chances here. He's like, no, pour it on the wood. Now do it seven times. 
put so much water on the altar and the offering and the wood that there's, there's a trench. They built a moat around this altar. There's water everywhere. And then God, and then Elijah prays one tiny little prayer and then boom, there's all this fire. It eats the altar. It's so hot, it destroys the rocks. There is nothing left but a crater. And 850 naked bloody people went, oh, crap. And so I probably shouldn't say that when I preach. I'm sorry. But I just love these stories. I just love these stories. And then the, the next part of the story is that Elijah goes, well, I won. So y'all go down to the Valley of Kishon. He got a sword and cut all their heads off. That's another story. We'll get there another day. God does not condone murder unless it's in that way, I guess. Anyway, but God is handling it. And then so Elijah's on this mountaintop Instagrammable moment. He literally saw fire destroy an altar. He won. He won. And then enter wicked King Ahab and his darling wife, who knows, Jezebel. They did not like Elijah, especially after he just slaughtered a thousand of their prophets. They were not happy about that. First Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. So then Jezebel slides into Elijah's DMs and says, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. One text message, one DM, one Facebook post, one news article, after a giant moment on Mount Carmel, one text from a ticked off woman sends Elijah into a tailspin. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went another day's journey alone into the wilderness, he came to a bush and he sat down under it and asked God to kill him. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. This is literally hours, maybe days after the boom fire moment. And now he's hiding under a plant wanting to die. This is an incredible story. Isn't the Bible fun? This is incredible. And you're like, Landon, it's not fun. I'm under a bush right now. I need you to help me get out of this cave. So he goes and lays under that bush, and then he finds himself literally in an actual literal cave. Here's Elijah. Amazing things for three years. One incident, one threat. Ends up on the edge of a desert and gets depressed. How do we end up in the cave? How do we end up here? Tomorrow, or not tomorrow, next week, we're talking about how do we get out of the cave? How do we get in here? Let's look at the factors that actually cause depression. There are, some of these factors are things that we do to ourselves, and please don't hear any judgment on today because we've all been there. We've all been there. We're all coming out of a rough season, you're in a rough season, or you're about to go into a rough season. That's life. We've all been in these places. So let's, it would behoove us to find out how. How, how do I keep getting in the cave? Because some of you guys, you're in a cave, and then you look, you think you see some light, you go to that light, and it's just the entrance to another cave. And you keep going from cave to cave to cave. You're a cave man. You're living in this cave. How do we get in the cave? There are nine factors, according to the psychological DSM and, and 
in the medical community. Nine factors, primary factors, a lot of nuanced ones underneath, but nine primary big guys that cause depression. Seven are psychosocial, only two are actually biological. Only two factors of depression are actually biological, which means most of the reasons are because of our lifestyle. Elijah, I told you there were nine, Elijah did six of them in the story. Like, what are they? I'm glad you asked. Here's the case, no amount of medication, which I'm not against, by the way, no amount of counseling and no amount of scripture can do this alone. You can't sit in a dark cave and quote scriptures and then God's like, well, they quoted that good enough, I'll get them out of the cave. But that's what we do. It's this, this, there's certain things that we have to, we walked into the cave with our own two legs, now we gotta ask God for strength for us to get back on those legs and walk out of the cave. So hopefully today is a help for you in that. And since most of our depression and anxiety is caused by lifestyle, and we're doing it to ourselves to a large degree, since it's a disease of lifestyle, in order to get free, we have to change our lifestyle. Six things that add to our depression, if you're taking notes, if you'd rather look on the YouVersion Bible app, search for the church, it'll geotrack you, and Big Brother knows you're here, so it'll put our notes in your phone. Number one, life imbalances. Six things that add to our depression. The first thing is life imbalances. Look what Johan Hari says in the book, Lost Connections. We need to talk less about chemical imbalances and more about the imbalances in the way we live. Now Johan's meddling in your life, but he's not wrong. We talk a lot about chemical imbalance. Chemical imbalance, chemical imbalance. Who's heard that phrase? I mean, chemical imbalance, you hear a lot about that. And so then we, we medicate it and Big Pharma makes all these pills and then we push it on everybody to fix the chemical imbalance. But the, the balance, the imbalance came from large degree of, to lifestyle. Elijah's depression came right after two big time spiritual victories. So this story reminds us that we are, we are not our best and vulnerable when we're tired. When a football team wins a game like the Longhorns did yesterday, 52 to 10, when that happens, don't be a hater. When that happens, do you think they're like rested after that game? No, they're tired. After, after victory moments is when you're most vulnerable. After big moments, you're most vulnerable. You know when the devil attacks preachers? The service goes from 11 to 12, 15, 12, 16. It's after moment, that's, it's so when, what are the big moments in your life? You gotta look at it this way. The devil knows when we're tired and he's a coward. So he waits till you're tired. He doesn't man up and fight you after you're rested. He waits till you're tired. More and more research is pointing to our lifestyles as the leading cause. Research shows that depression is more prevalent for the type of lifestyle that has become normal in America. The lifestyle we have in the United States has become the chief reason why our depression and anxiety is skyrocketing. Look at what Stephen Illardi says in his book, The Depression Cure. We were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. 
Let's, let's look at it. Just take it in. Look at all of the factors that are contributing to depression. Out of all of these, which one are actually you? Because look at how God created us, okay? When God created the earth, the entire earth was a tropical climate. Did you know that? Until after the flood, there, were no, there was no freezing temperatures in the earth. That's why they're finding palm trees in, the, in Antarctica. Because there were no, it was all tropical. Because if God made us naked, we wouldn't need coats. So it was all tropical. God loves the Caribbean. That's how everything should be. Life's too short to be cold. And all God's people said, amen. amen. We were never designed to sit on our butts. We were never designed to be indoors. You were meant to be outside and naked. We were never designed to be socially isolated. You were meant to be in community. We were never designed to eat Taco Bell ever. <laughs> ever. And we were never designed to sleep less than eight hours a night. But your boss forces you to out of fear for losing your job. We were never designed to be frenzied and out of control and a million extracurricular activities for our children to live out some sports dream that we never got as our own. We were never designed for this life. Are y'all with me? Now, please don't go walk around naked. This is just a point I'm making. You'll go to jail, all right? But we were not designed for this. We were not designed for this, guys. So what do we do? We gotta order our lives practically and spiritually. You can't just do one or the other. It's gotta be both. And we have to give attention to our pace. Look at Ecclesiastes 4. It's better to have one handful of tranquility and one handful of peace. It's better to live your life slower and calmer and with peace than to have two handfuls of what looks like success chasing after nothing. But our modern society says, no, more, more, more. Get more, get more, get more. That's life imbalances. The second cause that adds to our depression is comparison. <laughs> Comparing ourselves with other people. But you and I don't do that because we're Christians. So this, let's just move on. Actually, this is a huge deal. What did Elijah say? Do y'all remember the verse? I'm no better than my ancestors. I am no better than him and her and him and her. I am no better than any of them. I am the worst of the worst. I'll never get over this because they were here. I'm here. They're big. I'm little. I'm small. You're not. This is where they are. Look what Teddy Roosevelt said. Old Teddy said, comparison is the thief of joy. Have you ever had anything stolen from you? I had somebody rifle through my truck one day and I opened the door and everything was everywhere. There was nothing to steal. It's just old receipts and protein shake bottles. So it was very depressing for them. There was nothing to take at all. But I felt violated. I was like, you, you got, you touched my, you got in my, my truck. And I was like, so, like they didn't even take anything and I felt violated. Something like maybe something's been taken, but like someone stole something from you and the devil is trying to steal your joy. And what does the Bible say about joy? The joy of the Lord is your, so if, he can, if he's trying to get you weak, he's gonna take your. 
I think this is one of the biggest issues in our narcissistic society, society that has a lack of identity. Isn't it interesting in a society where everyone gets to choose an identity, there's no identity? Part of the devil's plan to confuse. Have you ever heard the phrase peer-to-peer mentoring? Who's ever heard that phrase, peer-to-peer mentoring? Okay, it's like, it's caught fire for a while and it's, it's like, hey, we're doing the same thing together. Let's mentor each other. It's actually unbiblical in life. You can learn how to type from somebody. It's peer-to-peer, whatever. I'm talking about important stuff. I'm talking about life. Young men do not need to be mentored by other young men who are also mad at their wives. The Bible says elder to youth mentoring is the biblical pathway. So we can't have a bunch of men acting like Ahab's being weak and leading other young men. We have to be strong and lead the next generation. Did you know that peer-to-peer mentoring has actually amplified mental triggers a hundred times over? So if you're depressed and then you get with other people who are depressed, it multiplies the pain a hundred times. This is science, this is science. Sorry, we watched Nacho Libre with the kids yesterday, so it's just coming out. This is a recipe for a mental health breakdown in our nation. Online social media use. I'm not going to demonize you here, but the darker the cave, the more drastic the action to get out. So you have to find some people around you that can help you discover that and figure that out. But research shows, literal MRIs have shown that we have changed the actual physical formation of the human brain. That if you look at the brain of a teenager now, as opposed to 20 years ago, it's a different shape. The prefrontal cortex that offers a lot of critical thinking has shrunk by 70%. So when we talk about the zombie apocalypse, it's already here. Some of the social media platform creators and contributors are talking about how they're renouncing what they've done because of what it's done to the human mind and the psychology of, the, of humanity. And in social media, we're comparing our miserable lives to the highlight reels of other people, and you'll never be able to match up. But there's actually a verse that convicted me so much as to why I got rid of all social media. I'm not telling you to do that, but my cave was so dark I had no choice. Look at Galatians 6. Each one should test their own actions. They can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else for each one should carry their own load. When I read that about seven, six years ago, it changed everything for me. I was like, I'm not carrying anything. I'm carrying all of their stuff and their successes and their pain. And I'm comparing myself to everyone. No wonder I have no peace. Like, no wonder I'm so hurt and depressed. We've got to stop comparing ourselves to others because we all, we all have different assignments, different pasts, different traumas, different personalities, different wirings. And it's impossible to compare yourself to someone else. And my dark cave was like that. And I'd, I'd take the shot after church on Sundays and 
get on the gram and look. And instead of being excited about them baptizing 15, and I was only concerned that we only baptized 14. And then everything God was doing in my life was thrown away by me. And it leads you into a dark cave. Stop comparing yourself to others. Number three, rumination and self-talk. Another major cause to our depression. So our lives need to be balanced with the word of God. We gotta stop comparing ourselves with others. But what about rumination and self-talk? Ruminating literally comes from the word of a cow chewing its cud. And if y'all ain't country folk, let me explain it to you. Cows have four chambers and a big old stomach. And here's what happens. They eat a bunch of grass and they're like, mmm, good. And they eat it. And then they're like, I want to do that again. And then they vomit it up, chew it up again. And then they put it in the second stomach. And then they're like, mmm, And it comes back up. <coughs> and then they're like, mmm, Third stomach, bleh, and it's back. Fourth time, and then it exits. Four times. That's, where, that's literally the Hebrew word for rumination is a cow chewing its cud, a cow chewing its cud. This is literally what, the, what God is saying. Like it's, it's a feeling of inadequacy that we are chewing on all day long. It creates a self-talk, and rumination is actually the focused attention on the symptoms of your distress and not a solution. It's when we overthink or we obsess about certain situations or life events. And it's self-talk that the devil loves to show up in. That's what Elijah did. He got alone with his thoughts, and then the story got worse and worse. What did he say? He said, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. Was that true? No, because there were six million people watching him, and now they're going, where did he go? He hid in a dark cave, curled up in a fetal position, and lied to himself over and over and over. He believed a lie. Think about all those dark moments you've had in your life. Did you, were you sitting there trying to figure it out going, I'm so surrounded by great people? No, you said, I'm all alone and no one understands me. We do exactly what Elijah does. 95, look what Brian Tracy says. 95% of our emotions are determined by the way we talk to ourselves. It's how we talk to ourselves that matters. Look at Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is, y'all say this out loud, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, worth your time. Think about that stuff because then God will bring peace in and with you. But we're not thinking about what is true. We're thinking about what is false. We're not thinking about what is noble. We're addicted to what's right in front of us. We're not thinking about what is right. We're thinking about what is wrong. We're not thinking about what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable, and then we wonder why there's no peace in our life. Can I, bring, can I just deal you some hope today? You can start changing this in your life today. It can change today. You control your mind, you control your life. The best solution, though, is to process this stuff with someone else. 
Like, hey, here's what I've been thinking, and I don't know if it lines up with the Bible. Can you just tell me? Tell a person that you love and you respect what you've been thinking and then let them bring truth to you. That's why small groups are so important, by the way. So check the roster out online today. We're constantly adding new groups. So the roster's not complete, all the way complete, but we wanted to get it out to you today so you can have a week to start looking at it. And then they start next week. You need people, you need people. Because you're only as sick as your secrets. You need people. Number four, the fourth cause of our, uh, part of a cause of depression is an inability to process pain in a healthy way. Now, some of us do process pain. We run people off the road, we throw stuff. You're processing it, it's just not healthy. Some of us ignore the pain and we're like, well, I'm just blessed and highly favored, praise God. You know, I woke up this morning, his mercies are new every day. My God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He'll never leave me or forsake me. You start quoting everything out of context and God's like, stop! I created your emotions, deal with them healthfully. God even created anger. Anger's not wrong, by the way. You gotta process why you're angry. And did you know that anger is usually rising up with you only in the things that you care about the most? I only get angry when things are connected to something my heart's really connected to. And so you gotta search all that out. But we gotta process pain in a healthy way. Here's the truth, life is tough and everyone medicates. We all medicate, we all feel pain and then we do something to soothe the pain, true or false. So, but so many of us are medicating in an unhealthy way. According to the Washington Post, during the full quarantine in 2020, overdoses jumped up nationally in March, 18%, April, 29%, and May, 42%. By the end of 2020, overdoses had doubled. We don't know how to deal with pain. And maybe it's like, Landon, I'm not overdosing, okay? But maybe your pain is like that glass of wine you had with your spouse at Friday night date night is now four glasses of wine all every day. Maybe, maybe instead of that movie you used to watch with your, your friends or your spouse every once in a while has now become four hours of Netflix binging every day. We're numbing out, we're medicating. And one unhealthy habit begets another one, births another one, births another one. But it's the same with healthy habits. If you're going to the gym a lot, you're like, I'm not gonna go to Taco Bell because I would have just wasted that last hour. So one healthy thing leads to another healthy thing leads to another healthy thing. And so you have the choice to move in either direction. We have to find out what we're doing to cope. So how do we deal with our pain? Jewish psychiatrist, Viktor Frankl, wrote a best-selling book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he believed in that book that Sigmund Freud's theory was wrong. He believed and proves in his work that life is not about pleasure. Life is actually about meaning. And if you don't have any meaning, you dull yourself with pleasure. So after World War II, he worked with suicidal patients in Vienna and all of these patients were concentration camp survivors. He gave them three things, he called it logotherapy, he gave them three things. The first thing was he gave them meaningful work to do, something to get their hands involved in every day that made a difference in the life of another person. The second thing was, was a community of friends that loved them unconditionally, no matter what, they've got their back, he gave them that. And then number three, 
He told them to every day, take whatever pain you're thinking of and suffering through right now and find the positive in it. Not one single patient of his committed suicide as opposed to the Sigmund Freud study. So how should we medicate? Landon, if we're gonna medicate, how should we medicate? Look at, God, look at 2 Corinthians 1. God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. In other words, one of the ways I can actually find peace in the middle of my pain is to make a difference in the life of another person. So if you've not come to growth track and gotten on the dream team or you have gone to growth track and aren't serving anyone yet, start today. Because when you start to make a difference in the life of another person, God is actually moving through you and that river begins to clean you out. Here's the biblical truth. There is purpose in my pain, 100% of the time. God may not have caused it, but it was allowed, and there's a purpose in it. If you ask God to show it to you, he will reveal it to you. Number five, isolation and loneliness. Guys, these are big things, right? This is a lot. I mean, I, I feel kind of bad what I'm doing to y'all right now. I mean, this is a lot of stuff. But be honest with yourself. Am I isolated? <laughs> no, I got lots of friends. No. Have you had anybody in your life tell you the truth in the last two weeks? If the answer to that is no, you're isolated. Have you had anybody over to your home for dinner in the last month? If the answer to that is no, you're moving towards isolation. Couples, have you double dated with anybody? Have you done play dates with anybody, moms and dads? Have, have you had lunch with a brother in the faith or a sister in the faith? Have, if the answers to that are no, you're isolated. What did the Bible say? It said Elijah left his servant there, left his friend there. So Elijah leaves the community of people that he just won a victory for, and then people are running with him, and he's like, y'all, stop. And then he ran further into the desert alone. Did you catch that when we read it earlier? He ran away from people. He did what so many of us do, and it's a trap. So remember this. The first problem in the Bible wasn't sin. Landon, what are you talking about? Eve ate the fruit and gave it to her husband. That, that wasn't the first problem in the Bible. Do you know what the first problem in the Bible was? Loneliness. Look at Genesis 2. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. This isn't a verse about marriage. It's not good that we as humans are alone. Never. If you're alone, isolated, and you're in an echo chamber of your own depression, that's a dark cave. I've been there. I felt what it's like. It's hard. And I'm going to level with you. I didn't want to hear scripture when I was there. And, and maybe that's where you're at right now. And I understand. There's no judgment at all. I've been there. If you want to talk later, send me an email. I'll help you with it because, I mean, we'll meet somewhere. This is too important. Feelings of isolation and loneliness affect one-third of all adults when surveyed. So one out of every three of you, statistically, are lonely and isolated. 
Romans 12, five, since we're all one body in Christ, now this is gonna rock your theological boat. Who do you belong to? It's not your question, that's a real scripture. Who do we belong to? Each other. No, I only belong to God, then you're isolated. God created you, but you belong to each other. You belong to me, I belong to you, we belong to each other. And when I read that verse, when I was in the cave, it's like a a light turned on and I was like, oh my gosh, all of those phone calls I've hit reject or send a voicemail, all of those text messages that have gone unanswered, that was God sending people to me to reach out to me and I rejected it all. I left my friend there and ran further into the desert. Each of us needs all the others. That's why church attendance is, I mean, I don't, church attendance isn't about church attendance. It's about, I need the others. I need the others. Like, I'm not gonna forsake this. I need them and somebody probably needs me today. Isolation and loneliness play a huge part in it. We need each other. We're built for connection. So look at the person next to you. Look them in the eye. This is gonna be super weird. But look at the person next to you in the eye, whether you know them or not. Don't get too close if you don't. Don't be weird. But look at them and say, I need you. (laughs) Now say to them, you need me. And for some of you married people in the room, that's the most intimacy you've had in months. It's another sermon, probably in February, okay? (laughs) Number six and the last one. I'm gonna go ahead and call the band up to help me finish this up. Spiritual warfare. This one always gets forgotten. We're not human beings. Here's another theological rocker. You and I are not human beings having a spiritual experience today. We are spiritual beings having a temporary human experience on earth. Biblically speaking, that is 100% theologically true that you and I were created by God, for God, in the image of God. Our spirit man was thought up first and we're in an earth suit right now and your home is heaven. Having a temporary earth experience. And there's a war going on in the spiritual realm with a very real enemy who hates you. Loathe entirely. He hates you. He's not playing games with you. He's not trying to be fun with you. He's not trying to be buddy-buddy to you. He hates you. Be encouraged today. The devil hates you. He is not... (laughs) That's a t-shirt, right? Be encouraged. I'm hated. I think sometimes we get too buddy-buddy with the devil and we wonder why he's not playing nice, like he's a mean neighborhood kid. He hates you. So the question is, what would you be willing to do? We're almost done. What would you be willing to do if I told you that someone was coming into your house tonight to hurt your children and hurt you and steal your stuff? If, what if I told you, think about your home, Think about your, the entrances and the exits to your home, the windows you forget to lock. and Think, think about, I forgot to set the alarm, forget. Think about all of that. What if I told you I have it on good authority tonight, that tonight at 1249 a.m. someone's coming to hurt your family? What would you do? 
Would you go home and watch your favorite team lose again? Barbecue. Put your feet up. You've had a long week. You're going to have another long one. You know, I deserve this. And then be woken up in the middle of the night to the very thing that was said to you. No, probably what you would do is you would get all of your buddies who own guns, have them posted up on your roof like sentries. Like you would talk to your neighbors across the street and say, I need your 30-06 that you got that buck with and I want it pointed at my front door. Like you'd have it all planned. That's what I would do. Maybe I'm living this out for me. But I'd be like, Chris Harrison, I need you on that neighbor's house. <laughs> James, I need you over there with a grenade launcher. We are, this is not happening. I'm gonna buy a pit bull. This is not happening. You would do anything to protect those you love the most and protect yourself. Look what the Bible says. Be self-controlled and, what does it say? Alert. Your enemy, the one who hates you, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to eat. Resist him standing firm in the faith. You would be controlled, you'd be alert, you'd be watching. I sometimes believe that the devil's working harder to destroy us than we are to keep him away and to keep it from happening. I think we've become so accustomed to it as a fact of life that we shrug it off and carry on as business as usual. But Ephesians 6 gives us the way out. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's plans, schemes. The bottom line, God has given us the authority and the tools and the weapons, but we have to use them. We have to use them. All six of these things happened to me. And at risk of damaging reputation, I'm willing to share with you to help get you out of the cave. About six and a half years ago was the darkest cave I've ever been in in my life. From some past traumatic experiences that happened to me throughout my entire 20s. There were things that had happened to me that I didn't know had happened to me and it was a very sinister type of thing and when it all began to reveal itself, it was really dark. I didn't know that. I thought something was wrong with me so I just kept trying to Google things and work out more and eat better and it got darker and darker. I got more and more silent, more and more isolated and I would come up on stage and I would preach to everybody and then I would go home into the darkest pit I'd ever been in in my life, hiding it from my wife, hiding it from everybody. When people would ask me questions, I'd be like, man, God's moving, he's doing great things, look what the Lord has done, and I just would Pentecostal myself out of it all. And because I, I didn't learn how to deal with those emotions. You know, we were taught to stuff it and just thank God, just shut up and thank the Lord. And I don't read that in the Bible anywhere, by the way. God made these emotions. And yes, you need to thank the Lord, but thank him that you're feeling the pain because there's purpose in it and learn the lesson in it. It was a totally different rubric I didn't have yet. And so the cave got really dark and it was about six and a half years ago that I had planned my exit. And I, the exit would have been as such where Kelly would have been a really rich lady and y'all would have found another preacher and you would have moved on with your lives. 
And it wasn't until God rocked my boat in the best of ways in Portland, Oregon at a meeting where I was there to coach new church planners that I literally felt, and I'm not a super spiritual guy. I'm usually accused of being too practical. So when this happened to me, I tried to deny it too. But I remember there, I felt like there was, they were talking, all these pastors were talking about like, what's good? What is the good, bad, and ugly? Like it was a highs and lows exercise. What is great right now and what is rock bottom, uh, rock bottom awful right now? And I, I went last, the, the way it started, I was the last guy to go. And it got to me and the whole time I felt like, I'm not lying to you, I felt like, like there was a cold hand over my mouth. And like it was, I don't know if you've ever touched somebody after they've passed, like it was like that cold, dead hand and I couldn't even open my mouth and everyone's staring at me and none of these people are my friends. I don't know any of these people. And I'm slinking down in the chair and, and I'm like, and they're looking at me like, are you okay? And I couldn't control what was happening. And then I remember what my Gigi told me and she said, whenever you feel like you can't speak, you just do your best to whisper the name of Jesus and it rocks hell to its core. I mean, talk about a four foot 11 Pentecostal spitfire. I mean, that. That lady scared the devil every day of her life. And, and I just, I whispered, I, I snuck it out between those cold dead fingers and I felt it leave my face like that. And I told everybody at that table my entire plan. And that day hell's back was broken. Kelly had no clue. She figured it all out the same day they all did. And now some of those people around that table are her best friends and they're my best friends. She talks to them every day on this group text. They, talk all the time and the like in my darkest moment Jesus came set me free brought people around and my life's never been the same and I'm telling you right now you can get out of that dark cave you can get out of that dark cave you can it's completely possible and the Holy Spirit will strengthen you and empower you we're gonna talk how to get out of it next week God sent food and ravens and sleep to Elijah helped him get up out of the cave but he had to walk out on his own that's all next week but for today maybe it starts with you just saying Jesus I loved it when the band was like they were singing like he's alive like that that's all we need to know there's hope because you're living there's hope because you're breathing there's hope because he resurrected. There's hope, everybody. You can get out of that cave and probably right now, not probably, with full assurity, I can tell you that right now, I am in the best mental, spiritual, emotional, and even physically healthy place I've ever been in my life. And I'm telling you right now, the devil hates you and he will try to take you out because he's afraid of your influence. And if we can bind together and not be isolated, if we can be honest about our shortcomings and let healing come because we've told a, a trusted person, if we can be around God's people and do meaningful work and let it, change, uh, let it change other people's lives, then we start to see these six things peel off and now we're moving towards healing and recovery. The first step's the scariest one. And I thank God for walking me through something so I could walk you through something now. I wouldn't have chosen it, but I wouldn't change it. And maybe you're in a dark cave right now. 
Maybe you're in a place right now that's hard, it's, it's dark, it hurts. You, I get it. So I wanna ask you these three questions. We're moving into our response time. It takes about five minutes and then we'll be done. But we, the band sings two songs of being and the one at the end, if you're new around here, the last song is a time for you to go to these four tables. There's communion and response cards and Kleenexes and everything you need over there to allow God to speak and minister to you in this moment. What I did up here today was not a performance. I was just sharing my heart and sharing some things that God's word helped me with. So there's, this is not a well done preacher thing. We actually don't like that at all. This is a, a moment for you to respond to the word of God. And I believe God spoke to some of you today. Here's the things I wanna ask you, like out of all the, the six things that we talked about, how people get in the cave, which one resonates most with your personal journey? Remember the quote from Stephen Alardi, is it, just, is it your life just so out of whack? You just can't get traction. Maybe he's speaking to you about your imbalances. And what, what do you do when you're experiencing pain? Do you overeat? Do you indulge in porn? Do you binge on Netflix? Do you, what, what do, you, do you isolate? Do you super spiritualize your life? What is it? And then number three, in what ways could God possibly be using, you could, how, what ways could you be using that pain for God for a, a greater purpose? Because that painful situation you went through or are going through right now, God will redeem it. God never wastes pain. So go ahead and stand to your feet. The band is going to lead us in a song and these three questions are gonna stay on the screen. We've changed that for you guys because I always see you guys taking out your phones to take the pictures or write like you're, you're trying. So these are gonna shrink a little bit on the bottom and then the lyrics to the song will be at the top. That's gonna be that way every Sunday. So rest, rest in that, we got your back. And you're able to see these three questions for the next five minutes. And I think that God's doing something in your hearts right now in a very big way. There's gonna be a prayer team at the back of the room, communion, response cards, all of that at the tables. You're more than welcome to come to the altar, worship, go get prayer. Do not waste this moment. Take a step. Say, whisper that name and watch things start to change. Father, thank you. Thank you for doing something to me so we, I could help other people later. And God, I just ask right now that you would do a major work in our hearts today. God, for the next couple of minutes, through this next song that talks about God is up to something, he is up to something right now. We believe that 100% that God is up to something right now. God is up to something in your life, he's up to something in my life. God's not gonna waste this pain. It's hard right now, but the Bible says, though the shadow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. This is break of day for you today. This is morning for you today. The sun's shining through those dark clouds in your life today. Take a step towards that sun. Take a step towards it. Say the name of Jesus. Be honest about the pain. Don't, don't cover it up with scriptures. Be very real about it and then submit it to the Lord and let him speak his word to your broken heart to heal you. Let God bring peace to your pain. And Father, I pray courage over every heart today as they move toward healing. And the lies that the enemy has said to them up until this point, we break them in the name of Jesus and we speak truth, truth, truth because you shall know the truth 
and the truth shall set you free, that you were called to live free, that you were called to be redeemed, that you were once a sinner, now made alive in Christ, that you were created on purpose for a purpose in the image of God himself. And what God, what the devil has been trying to use against you, God will use it for good. He's already started the process. Be honest with God today and let him begin to heal your heart in Jesus' name. Amen. You're free to respond while the band plays, and then I'll come up and end the service shortly. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.